everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? Yeah, I'm doing pretty great. I saw maybe my favorite typo ever the other day. It was on a handmade sign for a mushroom vendor at a farmer's market who was selling shiitake mushrooms. Only the sign didn't say shiitake mushrooms. It said shit-take mushrooms. Instead of the two I's and a single T, it was two T's and a single I, which makes a pretty big difference. So yeah, ever since I saw that sign, I've been daydreaming about a mushroom so surprising that it makes me do a shit take when I see it. I'm assuming that a shit take is kind of like a spit take, except for instead of spitting liquid all over the place because you're so surprised, you, well, you get the idea. Anyway, that's got to be a pretty surprising mushroom. Well, now that I've gotten the show off to a nice and classy start, we've got a comic book to talk about. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. Val's new student friends, Dollar Bill and Ledge, have names that push one to disbelief's edge. Why is the only normal named man she knows called Jack Norris? Here's a human man from Earth named Hub reading a synopsis. Synopsis. So synopsis and Jack Norris is at best kind of a slant rhyme, but you did acknowledge the fact that I am definitely a human man from Earth, so I'ma let it slide. Thanks, Eric. Defenders, number 62. August, 1978. Dollar Bill's Documentary Disaster, Part 1. Membership Madness. Written by David Anthony Kraft. Drotted by Sal Buscema. Inked by Jim Mooney, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Bob Sharon, and edited by Bob Hall. And at the end of the credits, it just says AWK in all capital letters with an exclamation point, which leads me to believe that either there were some awkward interactions amongst the creative staff, or, once again, that David Anthony Kraft is in fact a giant bird. Defensive lineup. Valkyrie. Hellcat, The Incredible Hulk, Nighthawk, The Falcon, and The Prowler, and Ms. Marvel, and Son of Satan, and Jack of Hearts, and Polaris, and Stingray, and Black Goliath, Iron Fist, Captain Marvel, Hercules, Nova, Marvel Man, and Torpedo, and Captain Ultra, Paladin, White Tiger, Havoc, Tagak the Leopard Lord, and... Oh, no, actually, that's it. Whew. That's a lot of Defenders. Previously in the Defenders. A few months ago, Nighthawk, Hellcat, and the Hulk aided their old frenemy Namor in seeking out a nuclear ne'er-do-well who had been inadvertently poisoning the waters of Atlantis with his dangerous experiments. Our hero's mission of mercy led them to the shores of the USSR, where they battled Sergei, a sinister Soviet scientist who was not only responsible for the radiation that threatened Namor's kingdom, but had also kidnapped former defender Dr. Tanya Bolinsky, aka the Red Guardian, mind-controlled her into being his girlfriend, and bombarded her with nuclear radiation until they both gained cosmic superpowers. What an asshole! 
Consent was not the only concept Sergei struggled with, as evidenced by the fact that the Slavic scumbag chose to adopt the clever codename Codename Sergei. Codename Sack of Crap was on the verge of defeating the defenders when the Red Guardian overcame her cerebral subjugation and told the atomic asshole to fuck off. Hooray! Unable to process the fact that the woman he had stalked, blackmailed, brainwashed, and experimented on didn't like him, codename Shitheel hopped on his flying fart chair and sulked off for parts unknown. While her non-teammates were combating consent-agnostic communist crumbums, Valkyrie was enrolling in college at Empire State University. The Azir undergrad quickly befriended an affluent bearded film student named Dollar Bill. When the defenders returned home, Dollar Bill accidentally learned of their existence. The garrulous cinephile invited himself along on our titular non-team's next two adventures, saving the Earth from invasion by a race of extra-dimensional blue oyster cult-quoting demons, and a failed attempt to capture a violent vigilante named Lunatic with a K, who had been terrorizing the ESU campus. Throughout these extraordinary exploits, the fuzzy-faced film fanatic was continually capturing our protagonist's super-heroic struggles on celluloid. Gadzooks! With Dollar Bill filming their fantastic feats, will the Defenders continue to be a clandestine crime-fighting cabal? After losing track of Lunatic with a K, how will our heroes regain their non-team spirit? And just how many Defenders were there in that ridiculously long defensive lineup I read at the beginning of this? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Nope. By playing with a frisbee. And 23. Yeah, 23. The Defenders are chilling out at their headquarters on Long Island when Nighthawk decides that they should all toss a frisbee around. Which makes sense, because Kyle Richmond is totally the kind of guy who is really into ultimate frisbee. Only, he just calls it ultimate. And then waits expectantly for you to ask what that is so that he can explain it to you, as though ultimate by itself is not a weird thing to call an activity. I guess the defenders are lucky he doesn't have them playing lacrosse, because there is no way in hell Kyle hasn't been on a lacrosse team at some point in his life. Anyway, Hellcat launches the frisbee into the sky for Kyle to go fetch like he is a golden retriever, which he is definitely not. I kind of like golden retrievers. Kyle tosses the frisbee to a confused Hulk and encourages him to throw it to Valkyrie. Hulk does so, but seeing as he is the Hulk, the throw has more mustard on it than the cover of the Ska Band Mustard Plugs album Big Daddy Multitude, which is to say, rather a lot. The plastic ring hits Val in the tummy and sends her flying into a nearby tree trunk. The gang collectively decides that perhaps frisbee is not the yard sport for them. Fair enough. Good thing they didn't decide to unwind by playing lawn darts. I do not see that one going well for anyone. The gang is about to head inside when Dollar Bill rushes out of the house with some surprising news. He's finished the documentary about them that he's been working on. The reason this news is especially surprising to at least one of the defenders is that Kyle apparently had no idea that DB was making a documentary about them, which means that either he didn't notice that Bill had constantly been pointing a camera at them for the last month, or he assumed that the footage was for Bill's private use. Man, for a guy who's a ripoff of Batman, Nighthawk sure isn't the world's greatest detective. But the existence of the documentary is in and of itself not the biggest surprise in store for the billionaire do well burn enthusiast, for not only is Dollar Bill's film completed, but the boisterous celluloid slinger has turned his magnum opus into a TV special which is about to air. Kyle is somewhat less than enthusiastic about his impending stardom. 
He angrily reprimands Dollar Bill that the Defender's existence is supposed to be kept a secret. Yeah, Nighthawk, because you're the soul of discretion. I'm surprised you don't have a Hello, my secret identity is Kyle Richmond name tag embroidered on your new costume. Eventually, the affluent avian aficionado concedes that the damage is already done and accompanies the rest of the non-team inside to watch their television debut. They settle in on the couch and are treated to a shakily shot montage of their most recent adventures, featuring a bombastic, slang-filled voiceover by the auteur himself, Dollar Bill. They are largely unimpressed. As the program reaches its conclusion, Bill's footage reveals that Lunatic escaped by hiding in the base of a statue that the Defenders had erected as a trap. Upon learning this, Kyle's rage at Bill briefly turns to self-reproach, but only briefly, because at the end of the film, Bill makes a direct address to the audience that redirects Nighthawk's ire back to its original source. Holding one of those dope wand microphones like Bob Barker uses on The Price is Right, Bill enthusiastically gives out the address of the Defenders Long Island headquarters and urges any superheroes watching to show up at any time and declare themselves a new member of the non-team. Kyle freaks the fuck out and starts yelling, and the rest of the team restrains him and tells him to try to chill out that what's done is done. Kyle is unconvinced. Meanwhile, somewhere in the USSR, Codename Shit for Brains mopes around in his flying fart chair. He hovers over a barren pile of rubble that I guess used to be a town, and thinks about how badly he screwed up. Oh, so he finally recognizes that it was incredibly fucked up to kidnap Tanya, telepathically command her to be his girlfriend, and do scientific experiments on her? No. I guess before he did all that shit, he also did some fucked up science bullshit for the Soviet government, which is how everything around here got all busted up and radioactive. Damn it, codename fuckwad! The next morning at Defender's headquarters, the doorbell starts ringing nonstop, like it's a fedora detector at a jerk convention. While Dollar Bill snoozes away unconcerned on the sofa, an annoyed Nighthawk opens the door. What he sees doesn't exactly calm him down. Gathered outside are nearly 20 superheroes from throughout the Marvel Universe who saw Dollar Bill show and decided to sign up for the Defenders. You know, all the people I listed in the defensive lineup thing at the beginning of this? Nighthawk calmly explains to the gathered adventurers that he's sorry for the misunderstanding, but there was a mistake and Dollar Bill acted without the Defender's knowledge. They're not currently seeking any recruits, but if any of the heroes wanted to drop off a resume, he'd be happy to keep it on file for them. Just kidding. Kyle slams the door in their faces without saying a word. Then he grabs Dollar Bill off the couch, drags him to the door, and drop kicks the couch-surfing movie maker halfway down the driveway. Not being privy to the events that preceded this apparently unprovoked assault on a civilian, Kyle's actions don't make a great impression on his unwelcome guests. The Falcon is like, Hey, what are you beating up that bearded guy we saw on TV for? Nighthawk's measured and even-tempered response is, Fuck you, I'll beat you up too! Falcon, who is rad, flies away, and Nighthawk, who is not, chases after him, yelling threats as he does so. By this time, the rest of the Defenders have woken up and gotten dressed. Patsy decides to go outside and flirt with all the cute guys on her lawn, and Val convinces the Hulk to help her make and serve coffee for their 19 unexpected guests. As Hellcat starts chatting up some jerk named Captain Ultra, several of the rest of the heroes start amusing themselves in other ways. Nova sees some horses off in the distance, and decides that he wants to go play cowboy and try to ride one. Marvel Man is like, Nova, that's a ridiculous thing to do. 
But Nova counters with the compelling argument, Come on! I dare you! After which, Marvel Man, Prowler, and White Tiger have no choice but to enthusiastically chase after Nova to go play cowboy with him. Hooray! Another group of heroes gathers on the porch. They have correctly noted that Kyle seems like an incompetent asshole, and that the Defenders need a new leader. Captain Marvel thinks that Hercules would be a great leader, which is odd because Captain Marvel has met Hercules, and doesn't seem like an idiot. Maybe it's a prank. With false humility, Hercules accepts the mantle of responsibility. A few minutes later, Val and the Hulk arrive outside and begin distributing cups of coffee to the cohort of costumed crime fighters. The heroes make small talk with Val and thank her for the hospitality. Then they taste the coffee. It's Val's first time trying to make coffee, and apparently, she has done a very bad job. Nearby, a different group of heroes has gathered because Torpedo has a terrible plan. He is of the opinion that the Hulk, who is a few feet away distributing bad coffee, represents an existential threat to humanity, and therefore it is their duty as heroes to apprehend him and take him into custody. Black Goliath, Tagak the Leopard Lord, Iron Fist, and Havoc agree that launching an unprovoked assault on the strongest being on the planet in his own home is probably a good idea. Gee, maybe these guys should be on a team with Kyle after all. Speaking of Kyle, he's still chasing Falcon around like a maniac while Falcon asks him what the fuck his problem is. The two winged warriors end up flying by the heroes who are playing cowboy, which spooks the horses into a stampede. Meanwhile, Patsy starts flirting with Jack of Hearts. Captain Ultra gets all pissed off because he figures that since Patsy has been talking to him for two minutes, she is now his property. He yells at her and shoves her to the ground. What the fuck, asshole? Jack of Hearts has a similar reaction to mine. He gets all up in Ultra's face and starts yelling at the misogynist miscreant. Unfortunately, before Jack gets the chance to beat the shit out of Captain Ultra, a stampede of horses bearing a quartet of colorfully clad would-be cowboys separates the combatants. Hulk is feeling a little overwhelmed by all the unexpected company. I feel you, buddy. He'd like to smash all of the interlopers, but Vala suggested to him that that would be the mark of a poor host. So Hulk has gone off to sit in the bushes by himself and try to think things through. That is surprisingly mature, the big green guy. Good for you, the Hulk. Unfortunately, just as Hulk is reaching the conclusion that it might be for the best if he just went away for a couple of days, Torpedo and his pals decide this is the perfect time to ambush the Hulk. Uh-oh. You know, I might have expected this sort of bullshit from Iron Fist, but Tagak the Leopard Lord, I am very disappointed in you. Bad Tagak the Leopard Lord. To be continued. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am doing... Pretty well, thank you. That sounds somewhat qualified. No, just, you know, usual case of the sleepies. We hung out and burned stuff last night, and uh, I think we both have mild hangovers today. Just the brain fog part, not the headache part. Yeah, we were discussing it earlier, and my hangovers always used to take the form of nausea and headache, and now, more and more often, it's just that I'm really stupid the next day, yep. and I kind of prefer the nausea. I like knowing that maybe if you take some ibuprofen and eat something unhealthy, you'll probably feel better. Yeah. And the stupid doesn't really just no, dissipate. No, I, I can't have it in my mind that just like, well, if I eat a big meal, I'll feel smarter. 
Hmm. That generally has not been the case for me. I guess we haven't really put it to the test, though. I mean, there might be a placebo effect to it. You're doing kind of the reverse of that. You're like, if I eat all this, I'm not going to get smarter. So I should go into it with the opposite attitude and see the results? Brain food. Okay. I should eat some brains. Zombies. Oh. They're like the ultimate hangover. That's not... That's not... No, I shouldn't eat brains. Nope. That's no good. No. That's not what I meant. Okay. Well, what did you think of this comic book? Okay. Kyle, as always, really pissed me off. Sure. That said, I'm a pretty private person, and if I got dollar billed like that, I would be so <laughs> mad. Yeah, I get that. Oh, awful. I was stressed out, actually, when all, <laughs> like, they opened the door, and, and it has a panel where it zooms in on Kyle's face, and his eyes are like little, like, pinpricks, like he just did a bunch of speed or something, and he says really softly, oh, my God. <laughs> It is kind of a New England horror story where it's 19 uninvited guests. Terrifying. Understandably so. That being said, I loved this comic book. It was a lot of fun. The Defender for a Day storyline is one that is very fondly remembered, I think, by a lot of people. And I really, really enjoyed reading this. And, as a bonus, we get Sal Buscema back. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize exactly how much I missed him until seeing his artwork again and being like, the Hulk looks right. Yeah, the Hulk looked right. The horses looked great. Mm -hmm. Those are good looking horses. Poor startled animals. Oh, man. (laughs) Their their mellow was harsh so badly by the arrival of the day. (laughs) Of here comes everybody. Also, kind of hilarious. Everything that happened in this book was just so weird and over the top. And in a lot of ways, this, more than anything that has happened since Gerber left, feels like, oh, okay, this is David Kraft's book now. It feels like a weird thing to say that about David Kraft, because he's been the writer on this book for, like, a year now. But at first, it really did seem as though he was trying to fill in Gerber's shoes and not necessarily write in his style, but kind of transition, at least, away from it. And this feels like a new era for the Defenders in the way that earlier stuff kind of didn't. It seems newer for sure in the sense that Kyle's really, well, he's always sort of leaned into the, like, I want to be in charge. But having the whole rest of the team acknowledge that he wants to be in charge and is bad at it. Yeah. And with everybody showing up and him just really going batshit and losing it, I think kind of cements, hopefully... A change in the leadership dynamics of the team, which is maybe something that Kraft will be able to to play a little more with. I would like that. It's something that I think he has been hinting at. Certainly, I think during the Xenogenesis run, there were more overt mentions of Kyle saying he wanted to be in charge and everybody else saying, you're not in charge just because you say you are. And in this issue, things really do seem to be coming to a head in that regard. Man, I'm used to all the humans picking on Hulk because he's Hulk. I was pretty disappointed to see a bunch of other heroes like show up at the party and just be like, Hey guys, come here. Let's let's go bully the green guy. It's being a terrible guest, if nothing else. It's rude and foolish. And to what end? Well, especially because it's not a surprise to them that he's going to be there. They showed up because they watched Dollar Bill's documentary... So they know the makeup of the team. And they didn't seem to go there with the idea of, hey, 
let's go pretend we want to be defenders so we can capture the Hulk. That'd be a different kind of shitty, but it would kind of make sense in terms of if they think of themselves as heroes and the Hulk as a villain, which he is periodically portrayed as, then I understand why they would be doing that. But this is just like, they show up, and once they arrive, and the Hulk is being super chill with them, then they're like, oh, that's right, the Hulk's here. We should probably go try to beat him up. And see, that's the thing that gets me the worst. Like, okay, I get it if the Hulk's in the middle of throwing cars around or smashing buildings, like the army comes in and says, mm -hmm. oh, we gotta shoot him. Fine. But there's been several instances now of a Hulk when he's like, I'm gonna go sit by myself and, like, think about shit. And then people are like, attack! I mean, in their defense, it does seem like that was very bad coffee that he brought them. He didn't make that coffee. But he did present it to them in a way that they felt they could not refuse it. And he was very, very firm on the fact that they would not be getting cream or sugar with it. Yeah, that's true. That was a lot of coffee that they produced. It's pretty impressive. Especially if it's Val's first time making coffee. I am also having difficulty imagining coffee so strong that everyone has that reaction to it. So strong it makes Hercules himself go, GAK! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the son of Satan is like, no, this is very much the coffee my dad would approve of. <laughs> no, thank you. Yep. So the cover to this issue is pretty fun. It shows a giant image of Nighthawk freaking out, and he is surrounded by a bunch of the defenders for a day, and... Dollar Bill stands in the foreground in a pinstripe suit saying, It's easy, folks. You too can be a defender for a day. It's a nice cover. It's by John Romita Jr. and Bob Layton. A lot of characters that are not in the comic book appear on the cover. I was like, where is um, Power Man? Did I just miss him? I saw no. Iron Fist. I didn't see his buddy Power Man. Right. So yeah, the characters that are on the cover that are not inside the book are Angel from the X-Men, Iron Man, Human Torch from the Fantastic Four, Luke Cage, and Spider-Woman. And I was wondering about the reason for that. I, I wonder if maybe it was... The cover is often solicited before the comic book inside is done. This comic book didn't seem to be as much of a rush job as some of the others. That That is definitely the case for where it's the cover image is wildly different. But I was wondering if for the story some of the characters that appeared in it were last-minute substitutes for maybe some of these characters. And that editorial at the last minute was just like, no, you can't use that one. No, they're actually off fighting in a space war right now, so they can't be appearing here. The Avengers are up to this, so Iron Man can't be in this. And if that was the reason for the substitution, and if maybe they'd even been penciled into the issue and then uh, with the inks were changed into other characters, which would kind of make sense to me. But I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get to see Power Man. So the book starts off in a pretty fun way, actually, where a lot of times after a storyline has wrapped up, especially I'm thinking about in X-Men books, there'll be a scene where the team gathers around and plays like a sport, as if to like visually signal, and here everything's getting back to normal after what they've just been through. Mm -hmm. And that kind of happens in this book. But instead of playing basketball or baseball, the Defenders are playing a game of Frisbee. Yep. And it's pretty fucking cute. Yeah, that opening splash page of, of them all getting their Frisbee on is... It just made me smile. And it also was kind of funny just seeing that the way that they're playing Frisbee, at least with Kyle, is kind of like you would play Frisbee with a dog. 
Just throw it as far as you can and he'll go catch it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I enjoyed that dynamic. I think it was funny that they had to misspell Frisbee because it was, you know, a copyrighted term. They spell it differently depending on who's saying it as well. Mm -hmm. But it's never spelled Frisbee the way Whizbang Company does. uh, Or Whammo. Whammo, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Hoax is my favorite. F-R-I-Z-Z-B-E-E. Which Pretty good. makes me think of a little bee that's all frazzled. I think that's a good way to think of it. Wee. <laughs> so, effects aside, what did you think of Dollar Bill's documentary? Um, it did not really seem to have a lot to it. No, it seems like a odd special TV presentation that was about three minutes long. He must have a lot of money to get that thing on air. Oh, yeah. It also kind of reminded me of... Do you remember the movie Reality Bites? Was that the grunge romance movie with Matt Dillon? No, it was the grunge romance movie with Ethan Hawke. Oh! (laughs) And Winona Ryder and Janine Garofalo. Maybe that is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, part of the premise of that film was that Winona Ryder was a documentary movie maker and... Ben Stiller was an MTV exec who you were supposed to believe that his company had ruined her brilliant documentary about her and her friends hanging out and not doing anything. But it really did seem more like it was a better documentary for his interference. And it seems like with this, it is just like, you don't really have a movie, Dollar Bill. You have a pile of footage and not a particularly big pile. And you didn't do that much with it. There's some interesting voiceovers. To me, the most interesting part of it was Dollar Bill's continual banter, and he really seems to have moved more into the position of a huckster than a film fanatic than I feel like he was presented as before. He almost seems like a stand-in for Stan Lee in certain ways, Hmm. both with like the style of his prose and his constant promotion. He reminded me a lot of Jack Kirby's parody of Stan Lee that was in DC Comics, Um, In the early 70s, Funky Flashman, who was a very mean-spirited parody of Stan Lee, down to him wearing a toupee and being very ashamed of it. Oh, man. Um, I I didn't know about Funky Flashman. Oh, I'll show you some Funky Flashman comics. They're really fun, but apparently they really hurt Stan Lee's feelings. Oh. Well, Jack Kirby had reasons to want to hurt Stan Lee's feelings. Anyway... Uh, I was kind of wondering about that with Dollar Bill, if it was like he was like a generation removed from Stan Lee. Because he's been portrayed in a few different ways since he's appeared, I feel like. There was a while where I was kind of wondering if he was a stand-in for David Kraft, and it seemed to be going in that direction for a while. But the comic seems to be liking him less than it used to, and it's kind of showing in the way that he's portrayed. Like, I had kind of brought up the idea that what you were seeing as his bravery was more the effect of him being insulated from the consequences of his actions Mm -hmm. throughout his life. And I feel like when it came up before, there was more of a gray area where you could read it either way. And in this, it really is more just like he doesn't think things through or have any conception of the consequences. And it's definitely obliviousness, not bravery. Oh, yeah, no, he is shocked that anybody would be unhappy with his unauthorized documentary. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate because it did seem like before he was headed to be a more fully fleshed out character, and now he is just more a caricature. But he's still pretty fun. 
One thing about his voiceover that rubbed me the wrong way, speaking of him being a huckster and whatnot, is his inability to stay on brand, as it were, with the names of the people on the team. He uses his kind of pet nicknames for them, Valk, HC, etc., which is maybe fine, assuming that the Defenders are a pretty famous non-team at this point, and maybe the general public who's consuming that media is aware of their nicknames or their shorthand names. I don't but know. they're not. They'd been a secret organization up until that point, and you're right. Yeah, and just what the fuck was he thinking? It's very self-indulgent, which is very on-brand for old DB. Oh, I see what you did there. It's just Dollar Bell. Mm-hmm. It does. I was thinking of him as DB in this because I started using that in my notes as shorthand. And it very much reminded me of that Brian Bosworth poster where he was, uh, it was the Wizard of Boz, and he was wearing the football jersey that said Monster DB. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that guy is a Monster DB. Speaking of Monster DBs, the codename Fuckface interlude. I don't like that it really looks like they are shaping up to give Codename Fuckface a redemptive arc. Did you get that vibe from this little interlude? I did, and I also, though, still was incredibly frustrated with his I'm the victim in this whole situation thing. Yep. Because basically he's, he's cruising around in this nuclear wasteland or whatever horrible thing it is, mm-hmm. and he's basically like... Oh, poor me, these bad choices I've made are coming back to haunt me, and it, like, totally sucks, man. Yeah. And he's, I think this, we're supposed to feel pathos for him at this point, because he's sad that his actions had consequences. And, no, he's starting to accept some responsibility for, like, the nuclear radiation experiments that he did, but he has at no point expressed any culpability for kidnapping, stalking, and mind-controlling Red Guardian, and then radiating her and turning her into a person who has to be isolated from the rest of society. It's still all about him and his feelings. And fuck that guy. And it really frustrates me that it does seem like the book is turning a corner towards him, and now he's trying to make right, and we're supposed to give a shit. Yeah. Because I don't. Raspberries. Yeah, fart noises for that's all. What, that's what he gets. <laughs> Just won't stop. Nope. The series of staccato farts. Oh. So, there's a lot more to cover, but I want to kind of go over some of this in a different way. We have 19 different characters that show up to audition for... The Defenders. Not even to audition, to just declare, I am a Defender now. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it's a loophole. That's the problem with a non-team. Really, the only criteria for being a Defender is to consider yourself one. So, we now have 23 Defenders. Were you familiar with all of them? No, not all of them, for sure. There were some new faces in there. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through a list of all of the characters who showed up to become Defenders. And we're going to talk a little bit about who each of them are and what they do in this book. And then we're going to play a little game. Sounds fun. Okay, so let's go through our Defender for a Day roll call. Let's start with the Falcon. What do you know about the Falcon? I know that he really set Kyle off by sitting on Kyle's roof, and that just all went to shit from there. That's all I know about the Falcon. Okay, the Falcon is rad as fuck. 
He is Captain America's partner in the 70s. He started off by just being a guy who grew up in Harlem, who was enthusiastic about falconry. You know, like most people who grow up in Harlem in the 60s. Sure. A bunch of supervillains were trapped on a desert island, and they sent away for him to come entertain them with falconry tricks. So he answered their ad in the paper, and that is where he met Captain America, and they decided to team up to fight the bad guys, and they have been friends ever since. At first he was called the Falcon because he had a friend who was a Falcon who helped him fight crime, named Red Wing. Later on, turned out he was a mutant who had a telepathic link with his bird friend, and also the Black Panther made him a fancy science suit that let him fly around like a falcon. So that's the falcon. Pretty rad in this issue, I think, overall. Yeah, he's got a good attitude. I don't think other heroes would have been as patient with Kyle as Falcon was, basically being chased around by this jerk saying, I'm going to kick your butt. Yeah, and I mean, his the whole reason for the altercation was that it started with Kyle just starting to beat up a fairly defenseless civilian in front of all of the rest of his new superhero guests. To which Falcon pointed out, like, hey, maybe set an example and yeah. don't beat up civilians. <laughs> to which Kyle was like, ah, fuck you, I'm gonna grab your ankle and pull you off the roof and blah, jerk. Indeed. Okay, let's move on to the Prowler. What do you know about the Prowler? Nothing. In fact, there are so many characters here, it may be more expeditious to go over the few that I have been exposed to and, okay. then, and then kind of run through the bios of the... Uh... Okay. Well, let's do Prowler and then we'll do it that way, okay? Sure. Okay. Prowler is Hobie Brown, I believe his name is. Started off as a villain. He's the guy in here who has the purple and green cloak, hooded cowl. He's part of the horse riding group. Mm-hmm. He's also the guy who was sitting on the roof next to Falcon. He was a brilliant young African-American engineer, but made the cardinal sin in comic books of being angry that racism existed, mm. which, as we all know, was considered as bad, if not worse, than racism. Mm -hmm. So he was considered a villain. He got fired from his job as a window washer and decided that what he was going to do was dress up in this fancy Prowler costume and go steal a bunch of stuff and then return it as Hobie Brown and be a hero that way. Don't think he totally thought that through. Oh. You just show up with a bunch of stolen stuff and, mm -hmm. and are like, hey, I found this. I probably got it off from a bad guy. But he didn't get that far in his plan because he ran into Peter Parker and... Uh, Peter kind of mentored him a little bit, and now he's, I think, kind of a tweener. Like, sometimes he will show up as a villain, sometimes as a hero, but when he is a villain, he's a fairly sympathetic one, and as a hero, he's fairly decent, but still kind of a tweener, I believe. Tweener. Yeah. Or a taint, because he taint quite a hero, taint quite a villain. Also, they're sometimes called the Grundle. Now, let's go through the ones that you do know. You know Miss Marvel, right? Yes, uh, Miss Marvel... Uh, Son of Satan, of course, from before Iron Fist, um, from actually reading the comics when I was a kid, and then um, Black Goliath in in kind of passing, mm -hmm. um, not having read a lot. The other names were... Okay, were so what did you think of Miss Marvel's role in this book? You know, I kind of would have liked to have seen more, because she's so badass. Yeah, she's got a new costume. Mm-hmm. That is good a looking dope one. costume. I like it. It's got the stylized, like, S on the front. Mm -hmm. Very 80s. 
Very, although it's prescient, ahead of its time. Yeah, true. Very 80s in the very 70s. Mm. You knew Iron Fist? Mm Mm-hmm. What'd you think of his role? Again, he, like, says a couple words, and that's that's about it. Yeah. He, I think, is part of the group that decides to beat up the Hulk. Not the best idea. Introduces himself as Iron Fist when he does it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of these characters are relatively new uh, when they appeared in this book. Captain Marvel, do you know him? By name, of course, but I didn't read his uh, comics or I don't remember. Okay. He basically, you know Miss Marvel from when the Defenders mixed it up with him. He has the same powers of her, but he's a space alien. Mm-hmm. Son of Satan, Devil's his dad. Yep. He's pretty chill in this book. Mm-hmm. Hercules, not from comics, but, you know, just from being Hercules. Sure, and it's pretty similar. The Marvel version of Hercules is actually really fun. He, I think, can best be summed up as he's basically Thor from Thor Ragnarok. Like, he's Thor with the bombast turned up to 11 and more fond of drinking and a little more boastful about himself. Very much a hedonist, but with generally good intentions, but very egocentric ones. Okay. Did you know Havoc? I know you used to read X-Men stuff. The name's not ringing a bell. Okay, he is Scott Summers, Cyclops' younger brother, Alex. Oh. He's the guy in this who had the black bodysuit with the weird white straps over his head. Yeah. He has powers that shoot out of his chest, and he can't really control them all that well. He can control them a little bit through that weird helmet getup and the spiral on his tummy. But yeah, makes weird, crazy blasts. I got super nervous at first because the color scheme is kind of Dr. Light and the headgear. Oh. But no, he's cool. He and his partner Polaris are, in this era of comics, I believe, constantly just trying to go back to grad school and finishing their degrees, but keep getting sucked into superheroics, usually with the X-Men and just not being crazy about that. Polaris also appeared in this. She is the only character who literally did not say a single word in it. The only superhero, anyway. She was the green-haired lady. She has magnet powers and is sometimes Magneto's daughter. But sometimes not, depending on what area of retcon we're in. So let's go through the rest of the list. Jack of Hearts. Jack of Hearts, you got to meet him in this. You saw who he was. What'd you think of his outfit? Jerk of Hearts, more like it. (laughs) Zing. He wasn't that bad, actually. He was mixing it up with a much bigger jerk, who we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, he was one of the two guys who was kind of vying for Hellcat's affections. He was the less shitty about it certainly. He's a character who I like a lot. He was created by Bill Mantlo, and he dresses like a jack of hearts from a deck of cards. Do you want to take a guess as to what his real name is? Jack Hart? Yes. Oh no, really? (laughs) Yeah. His dad was Phil Hart, who was a scientist, and his mom was an alien, which he did not realize at the time. Uh, His dad created a super fluid that you could get energy out of called zero fluid and uh jack accidentally fell in a pile of it and then got very powerful superpowers Hmm. that sometimes are killing him and other times aren't his power set is somewhat erratic he can absorb energy and dispense it one time he restarted a sun whoa and he dresses like a jack of hearts stingray do you know which guy he is no He's the guy in front with the white shovel on the front of his face mask and then a red outfit with a red starburst in the middle of it and big cool wings. 
Mm. He is mostly an underwater hero, sometimes villain other times, more generally in the hero column, especially lately. He is frenemies with Namor, and he is the world's leading oceanographer, and was building some underwater cities to grow kelp, and developed this fancy suit for swimming around and fighting ocean crime. Uh, he has worked as a mercenary in the past, but is mostly a hero. He's got a cool outfit. Yeah, his uh, face had a little bit of a Cobra Commander thing going on because of the shovel looks a little bit reflective. Mm-hmm. I don't think the shovel is generally supposed to be reflective, but mm. yeah. Black Goliath, you said you were kind of familiar with through this show. Mm-hmm. We've talked about his outfit a lot, mm-hmm. and it shows up here. Yep. It's a slightly modified version of the outfit. It looks like they moved the square down a little bit, so it's showing off his abs, not his underboob, which is disappointing. For him or for the for audience? The, for everyone, I think. It was such a distinctive look. He, he had the little Power Girl window, and mm. now it's gone. Or at least has migrated south. I hope it doesn't keep moving south. Well. You never know. Yeah, he's a brilliant scientist who worked with Ant-Man a bunch and uh, ended up figuring out some Pym Particle shit, and now he can grow real big. Name's Bill Foster. Good guy, good scientist. Gets real big, real strong. Favorite drink? Pym's Cup. Probably. It's delicious. This is not a bad cocktail. No, it's fun. Not too alcoholic either. Mm -mm. Who is the Santo-like character on the horse? I think you're talking about White Tiger. Yeah. All of the characters in this will usually have at least one line where they're just like, So says White Tiger, or, or my name's not Iron Fist, or something like that. I think they're trying to speak to the fact that a lot of readers are not going to be familiar with this char- these characters. And I think you're supposed to be a little bit overwhelmed by their anonymity. Yeah, that guy is White Tiger. He is a kung fu expert from Puerto Rico. He also has superpowers that he gets from the Jade Amulet, which gives him White Tiger powers. He's kind of analogous to Black Panther, but Puerto Rican and more of a martial arts expert. His name is Hector Ayala. Far out. I would like to also point out, I am not looking at notes for any of this. I am impressed. (laughs) A little scared. That's well, you should be. Um, A lot of heroes bumping around in that noggin. Nova. Did you recognize Nova at all? He's one of the more slightly popular characters in here. Ah, that's the the urban legend from the, uh, the Chevy failed marketing campaign in Latin America. Yes, he did one time put a baby in a microwave to dry it off. Oh, different urban legend. <laughs> you know, the Nova doesn't go thing. Their car, the Nova. Yes, I know. Yeah, the, the rumor that they tried to market the Chevy Nova in uh, Spanish-speaking countries, and it didn't sell well because that would mean doesn't go. Yep. Not corroborated, turns no, out. not true. What about the baby in the microwave thing? That was true. What you a, never heard that urban legend? What a fucking asshole. I know. <laughs> no, Nova never put a baby in a microwave. Oh, good. I don't think anyone did, despite what scare tactics from anti-drug ads would have us believe about babysitters on acid. I don't know, man. I I put, like, something with some metal in the microwave once when I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't on acid, though. Well, that's probably for the best. Also, I mean... (laughs) And it wasn't a baby. I don't think that the reason you're not supposed to put a baby in a microwave is because it would be bad for the microwave. It'll arc. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. So Nova is a teenager who is kind of a mashup of the greatest American hero 
and Green Lantern. He has a magic suit that he doesn't really know how to control. He's got a bunch of superpowers that he inherited from a interstellar cop brigade that was nearby, and he is now, at this time, the last member of it, and he has all of the powers that go along with it and the responsibilities, but he doesn't really know how to use his suit. Do you think that would be fun or just horrifying, like getting a super suit that you had to figure out? I think more horrifying than fun, but probably a little of each. How about you? Oh, fun. I mean, as long as, like, I don't know, it's like maybe you and I take it out to a field somewhere. (laughs) Hit some golf balls at it. Yeah, it'd be pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) Some beer and some first aid. Yeah, but that's kind of Nova's deal. Okay. In this comic, he acts ridiculously. He's the guy who points at the horses and is like, hey, I've had superpowers for a while, fought a bunch of supervillains, been to space a few times, but look, horse! Mm-hmm. And everyone around him is just like, yeah, those are horses. And he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna go play cowboy! And they're like, what? That's... Oh shit, I wanna play cowboy too. And then they all rush along and play cowboy with him. Reminds me of a, a guy I knew back east. There was a group of kids, like late teens, and there was a horse... And one of them was like, I'm going to go ride that horse. And they were like, oh, don't do that, man. That's dangerous. Yeah. Did he die? Uh, No, but the horse did try and kick him. It didn't succeed? I think he might have gotten clipped a little bit. He wasn't super injured, but he didn't after he'd like... He decided that riding a random horse that he sees is not a good idea? Super bad idea. Yeah, it is a super bad idea. I guess it's maybe not quite as bad an idea if you have superpowers. But these guys just go at it like a band of berserkers. It doesn't go well for them or the horses. They are crazed, and then the horses are terrified because, yeah, of course they're freaking terrified. There's a scene in which it looks like Marvel Man is punching a horse out when they first (laughs) rush the horses. But it turns out in the later thing, he's just grabbing the horse around the neck so he can jump on it. Still not great for the horse. Still not great for him. Mm -hmm. But was a pretty funny scene, especially because... Nova's real name is Richard Ryder, and he he made a joke about, oh. imagine this happening to me, Richard Ryder. My name's Ryder, and I can't ride a horse. Mm-hmm. What a bizarre level of confidence you must have to see a horse and think, I can probably ride that. Never tried, but I imagine I'm pretty good at it. They're so fucking big. Like, I'm nervous to give, like, the apple through the fence or the piece of hay through the fence that yeah. they sometimes enjoy. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I would always be afraid of that. I've seen what horses have done to you. Well, that's ponies. Have any horses, actually? No, I've actually ridden a horse or two, and, and that's gone fine. It's, it's just it's... ponies. Ponies fucking hate me. <laughs> Cocky little jerks. Marvel Man. Do you remember him at all? Mm-mm. He introduces himself as Marvel Man. He is, at this point, a very generic hero. As time progresses, he becomes a different generic hero. He becomes known as Quasar in the 90s. I don't know if you remember that name at all. Nope. Never really caught on all that much. He is a character who is his personality trait that they try to hang storylines on is that he's mild-mannered. So, like, he gets his powers because he doesn't have a killer instinct and he's kind of indecisive. The best thing about him is that he grew up in Wisconsin in two of the funnest named towns in Wisconsin. Hmm. Fond du Lac and Oshkosh. Wow. So, you know, that's nice for him. He has quantum bands. At this point, his powers are basically that he is strong and can fly and I think shoot energy beams. Pretty generic stuff. Uh, Later on, his quantum bands get used in a, if memory serves, almost a Green Lantern-y type way where he makes stuff stuff out of them. 
uh, and has kind of light powers. He's one of those guys that is very powerful within the world of comic books, but never really seems like the big deal that he is sometimes described as. Torpedo. All I know about him is that he's married. <laughs> what a dickhole. <laughs> I really like Torpedo. He shows up in Rom the Space Knight a bunch. He is the third guy to be a Torpedo at this point. There have been five in current times. He is a guy who found a fancy suit. He found it on an evil scientist who was dying fighting a more evil scientist and possibly Senator who may have been his dad. That stuff all gets a little bit too complicated for me. But the guy who has it now is, I believe, Brock Johnson? Might be wrong about the last name, but it's definitely Brock. He's a former football player who saw a guy wearing this fancy suit dying and tried to help him. And the guy was like, hey, you can have this suit, but also you gotta fight my dad or something. I don't remember if it was his dad. Uh, is definitely a senator who is evil and is sending like minions of rocket men after him all the time. He ends up in Rom the Space Knight and takes over as the protector of the town of Clarion, West Virginia. And then his family gets murdered by dire wraiths who impersonate them and he comes home and they're all dire wraiths and they murder him too. Does the suit give him the power to be shot out of a submarine's torpedo hole? Yes. That seems no, like a really should. bad yeah. <laughs> superpower. It would be. It totally reminds me of the tick guy, the human bullet, mm. um, who just gets fired out of a cannon constantly. No, he's got these big turbines around his wrists and feet that let him fly through the air. I believe they are nuclear powered, and he can punch real fast, and he can fly real good, and he wears a big stylized metal helmet. But in this book, he is a real fucking jerk hole. And the idea that when Patsy shows up and comes outside and introduces herself, yes, she does hit on the guys later, but she isn't right then. And he says, hi, my name's Torpedo, and I'm married. He really assumes she's very interested in him. She hasn't given the Or Torpedo and his wife have, like, some fucked up, like, Mike Pence rules where he's just not allowed to talk to any women, ever, unless she's around. There's so much that is fucked up about that. But I do kind of get the impression that that is Torpedo's rule as well. At least it seems like it. But yeah, not only does he say, Hi, I'm Torpedo and I'm married. He says, Hi, I'm Torpedo and I'm married. Unfortunately. <laughs> I do like Hellcat's response to that. Which is too bad for you. <laughs> yeah, she is a, she is fun in this comic. She is. I, as I said before, outside of this comic book, I do actually like Torpedo a lot. Now, let's talk Captain Ultra. He is a real piece of shit in this book. What a dingleberry. Yeah. So, he is the other guy that, at first, Hellcat is very flirtatious with. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. And he gets possessive and jealous immediately. And then when she starts talking to Jack of Hearts, you expect, in comic book terms, that then he would start a rivalry with Jack of Hearts. And that does happen. But the other thing that happens is, oh, you're just trying to play the field, he says to Patsy, and then shoves her to the ground, or tries to. Gross. What the fuck, dude? It sucks because his story is super fun. Mm. So Captain Ultra, his powers are, he's super strong, he can fly, he can shoot energy beams, he can turn intangible, he's got a myriad of amazing powers. But he is incredibly pyrophobic. And if you light a match near him, he will faint and pass out. 
<laughs> oh, it's such a bad weakness. It is. Do you know why he has that power? Uh, no. And that weakness. He was a plumber who was out on a case. And the guy who hired him to do some plumbing... Wait, like a plumber detective? No, just a plumber plumber. Oh. A case of bad plumbing that oh, he was okay. trying to solve. A job. A plunger. Okay. Yeah, I, I phrased it weird. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. That's, I was like, wow, this is really complex. No, it's still pretty complex. The guy who hired him decide, turned out didn't have the money after he'd finished doing his plumbing. Oh. And the guy was like, well, tell you what. I'm a hypnotherapist. How about I hypnotize you and teach you to quit smoking in lieu of payment? And he's like, yeah, I want to quit smoking. Okay. So he hypnotized him to cure his smoking. Mm -hmm. But this hypnotherapist was also an alien. Oh, that's the worst. And he unlocked his full psychic potential, which gave him superpowers. But by curing him from his smoking addiction, he made him super afraid of fire. Oh, man. That's the catch. Isn't that a fun story? That is a fun story. And his name is Griffin Gogol. Good name. It is. Reminds me of Gogol, the author, who I like a lot. Yeah, unfortunately, he is a total turdbag in this book. He is mostly a joke character. He showed up in the Fantastic Four not too long before this was his first appearance, and it was in a kind of similar circumstance where he was auditioning for a supervillain team and, like, showed up for a cold call for that, and at first they're, like, super impressed, and then somebody lit a cigarette and he passed out. So they're like, okay, you're not going to be on a supervillain team fighting the human torch. Oh, my gosh. Do you think that that's real hypnotism for quitting smoking or just in general? Do I think hypnotism is real? Yeah. I think it exists. No. I mean, do you think it's a, like... If somebody were to be like, okay, look into my eyes, hub, and then bark like a chicken. Or, not, it's not what they say, but you know what I mean. Yeah, they would probably say cluck like a chicken. Do you think you would? Well, Corey, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I was hypnotized once. And, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but I'm a chicken. <laughs> Corey, I'm a chicken. Paladin. Any thoughts on Paladin? He is the dude in the purple body armor. Doesn't say that much other than his name is Paladin. I think that purple is a nice color for body armor, and I think that paladins are good to have on your party if you're adventuring, because mm. they usually have a pretty solid relationship with a god of some sort. Sure. I am not familiar with this character. So, it's interesting you bring that up, the Paladin D&D &D class. Because I think right now that is probably the primary reference that people think of when they think of the word paladin. But at the time this comic came out, it was more associated with the type of character that paladin is, which is a mercenary. Have Gun Will Travel was a show about a bounty hunter who was named Paladin. And I think that's where they got the name from, because Paladin is, in fact, he is not a moral absolutist character who has a strong relationship with the deity. He is instead a gun for hire. It's a stun gun, but that's his deal. He doesn't really have superpowers per se. He sometimes goes by the pseudonym Paul Dean, because it sounds like Paul Paladin. Mm. And maybe he is also a fan of uh, noted racist Paula Dean. I was going to say, Paula Dean <laughs> sounds even more like Paladin. But it does, but she's no Paladin. Jerk. Maybe she's a Paladin for... A... Can you be an evil Paladin? not how that works yeah me either seems like i think there's a an alignment like that you like, but you have to be lawful have. but you 
For, Maybe you could be lawful evil. I bet you could be lawful evil and be a paladin. Like you have to follow these rules. Maybe if you're lawful evil, you do call yourself Paula Dean. I have to kick every puppy. And eat a lot of butter. <sighs> Which I believe leaves us only with Tagak, the Leopard Lord. Yeah, I feel like with this dude, I, I don't recognize him from earlier comics, but I feel like I only saw the back of his head for a while and i was like oh that's he's like a guy with his skin condition or something but no he's got a leopardy face got a mildly leopardy face he's from another dimension he's a hero in a different dimension and he and his leopard fat friend fought crime there which was why he was called the leopard lord and then he came to this dimension tracking a thief and cops shot his leopard which is bullshit oh. and daredevil helped him catch the thief but then he was stuck in this dimension and sometimes he fights crime a little bit. Man. Yeah. Pretty solid dude. Tragic backstory. Kind of shitty to keep calling him Leopard Lord. Since the leopard that he was lord of is no longer with us. Yeah. Bummer. Very much so. So. Now that we have met all of the Defenders for a day. We are going to do a Defenders Fantasy Draft. We are each going to come up with a defensive lineup. Featuring a Nighthawk type. A Valkyrie type, a the Hulk type, a Hellcat type, and a wildcard type who can represent any previous defender that we have seen on the team. Uh, and we're going to draft from this list and each put together a team. So, I'm going to let you go first. Which one do you want to take first? In which position? Because he's real strong, I'm going to go with Black Goliath for my Hulk. Dang it. Okay, that's a good choice. Okay, I need to pick a Hulk type. Well, I'm going to go with Hercules. It's a little bit on the nose, but uh, he fits the Hulk role pretty well in a number of regards. He, he's, like, fought the Hulk toe-to-toe, -to -toe, and he's uh, easy to be emotionally manipulated, much like the Hulk, which uh, can be a benefit in a teammate. Okay, who are you taking next? All right, uh, for my wild card in place of Steve Strange... I'm going to go with the uh, the Son of Satan. Damn it. It's a good call. Thanks. You're taking my picks. Oh, man. You're okay. to let me go first. So I'm going to leave my wild card for last. For my Nighthawk type, I'm going to take Stingray. Mm. Because he's got a suit that lets him glide a little bit. It's a cool-looking suit. He's going to be pretty useless in most situations, but he's got a lot of money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also... He is less of a dick than Nighthawk, so I'm going Stingray for my Nighthawk. Alright, then for my Nighthawk, because he can fly, but he's also a giant asshole, I'm going to take Captain Ultra. Ooh, interesting choice. Ooh, leaning into the Nighthawk. That's Man, I can't believe some of the people are leaving on the board here. <laughs> Alright, so for Valkyrie, she's kind of a utility player. A lot of different options here. Nope, you know what? I'm going to go with my Hellcat. Acrobatic, cat-themed. I'm going to go White Tiger. Ooh, nice. Okay. All right, for my Hellcat, for occasionally cracking-wise, but also being very nimble, my man, Iron Fist. Ooh, okay. So, for utility player, all-around great character, can do a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, I'm taking Ms. Marvel. Mm. Oh shit. Because he sounds real cool and he can get a lot of things done, 
As a generalist, I'm going to go with Falcon as my Val. Good call. I was considering him for my Nighthawk. I was actually leaving him to you if you wanted to take him for a Nighthawk. But uh, I think that's a wise choice. So that just leaves me with my wild card. You know what? Mm. I'm going to take Polaris. Really? She's got magnet powers, which are crazy nonsense powers. Mm. So uh, that can do pretty much anything. So she is my Stephen Strange. Good Polaris. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah. Why don't you read your team off? Okay. My Nighthawk is... Captain Ultra. Real dickhole. Good choice. My Valkyrie is Falcon. My Hulk is Black Goliath. For my Hellcat, I chose Iron Fist. And then for the wild card, I have the Son of Satan. Nice job. Okay, for my Nighthawk, I have Stingray. For my Valkyrie, I have Ms. Marvel. For my Hulk, I have Hercules. For my Hellcat, I've got White Tiger. And for my wild card, as my Steve Strange, I have Polaris. Nice. I think these are some pretty solid Defenders teams. I would read a book about either one of those teams. Absolutely. I feel like if you or I had been there when Dollar Bill pulled this malarkey, no horses would have been harmed. Nope. Hulk probably would have been okay. Yeah. This leaderless team thing is... is... There are definite downsides to the kind of purposeful libertarianism that the uh the defenders ascribe to what we see that can happen is when to join a team all you have to do is declare yourself a member there is nothing that stops 19 new guys from showing up all at once and saying all right we're gonna vote for a leader because we just decided we're defenders you assholes are out Mm -hmm. and that's essentially what happens yep was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we get into the minutiae just as we sometimes note that I feel like the Defenders might be a better vehicle for the Bozone than the Titans. There were some good insults flying around in this in this. There issue. were some really good insults, particularly flying back and forth between Captain Ultra and Jack of Hearts. I noted several of them there, but then also the uh, invective that Nighthawk employs against uh, Dollar Bill when he's really frustrated at him. He calls him a cinema freak. He calls him a chucklehead (laughs) chucklehead's pretty good he makes a cute little rhyme where he says thanks a heap creep yeah i mean kyle is a real turd in this but i did get a chuckle out of his choice of language in that situation also just yeah as we mentioned when jack of hearts calls captain ultra captain colorblind because he's got a very clashing outfit on i thought that was a nice choice but the way that they go back and forth on that you're playing with half a deck you dope don't get personal, Captain Colorblind. That does it, jerk of hearts. Want a fat lip poker face? So your true colors are showing. Yeah. It's a this pretty is a pretty good, good back and forth. I enjoyed that. I also liked how Nighthawk basically included all the rest of the defenders in... I don't even know if, if saying it's a self-deprecating statement is the right way to go about it. But when you're deprecating your group along with you? Yeah, and he just basically says, because of Dollar Bill's documentary, that they they look like a bunch of prize bozos. Yeah. That's a good one. Like, it is. Prize bozo. That's a Oof. class A. Blue ribbon. Mm-hmm. Honk honk. Huh? Like uh, you're clown and you're honking your nose or the little horn that you carry around. <laughs> So, you know, Blue Ribbon, Bozo Hong Kong. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, everybody knows that. I hate it when people do that, like, inclusive deprecation. Aren't we a bunch of fuck-ups, huh? <laughs> You're like, <Gosh>. oh! 
Guys that are as stupid as we are. It's like, hey, I just met you. Just standing here. Yeah. I don't even know you. Boy, yeah, man, dumb, ugly idiots like us sure have a rough time, don't we, buddy? What a bunch <laughs> of chuckleheads. <laughs> we are. Oh, boy, we're a pair of prize bozos, aren't we? All right. Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. So, Corey, sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion did you feel were most worthy of note? Wow, is there a lot to choose from. I narrowed it down to four of the uh, Defenders for a day. Okay. Who you got? One came up already, Ms. Marvel. Yeah, fancy new outfit. Super cool. One-sleeved, like, Tarzan-style leotard, but with a stylized S and then a sash. And I imagined it to be some kind of a shiny black fabric. I think it's either a shiny black fabric or it looks like it's made out of stars. You know? Like that night sky fabric that sometimes crops up in comics. Mm Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah. So, that was one. I also had uh, the Jerk of Hearts himself. Yeah. That's a crazy fucking outfit. I really like it, I gotta say. I dig those shoulder pads. I did not like it at all, but I was just like, wow. You gotta appreciate somebody who commits to a theme that fucking hard. No, the appreciation's there. It's just aesthetically. Not your cup of tea? No, it's a bad look. Okay. But it's striking. I also had Captain Colorblind. What a jumble of colors. It is a lot going on. It is many of the colors of the rainbow apparently just haphazardly thrown together. It's a power-clashing outfit. I wonder if in the Marvel or DCU there are these services. Like, I saw this ad. I was watching something on Hulu, and there's this service where people tell you what to wear. Oh, yeah, like a mod cloth type thing. I can't remember what it was called, but yeah. It wasn't called that because they don't pay us any money yet. So as for now, I have no opinion on mod cloth and whether or not it might be a good product. Might totally suck ass. Might be fucking great. Never know. Show us the money. Give it here. You can send those checks to Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. Seriously, he's not joking. You can send checks there. Yeah. We'll get them. Uh Uh-huh, and then we'll cash them. Mm -hmm. And then we'll say nice things about your company. Yeah, whether it's tea or clothing advice. Hats. Oh, we like hats. Sure. Mostly. Maybe. Yeah, that's true, too. We might hate hats. You can also send us a check to talk shit about something. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, tell you what. You send us $50, I'll talk shit about pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. All that's... right, sorry, guys. We just had to, just <laughs> like the word from your sponsor thing. that. Yeah, yeah. So there were a, a few instances of fashion I wanted to talk about. We talked a little bit already about Black Goliath, but since he showed up for the first time in here, man, what an outfit. That dracula collar it's one thing when it's on a cape but there's no cape attached to it it is just a popped collar on a spandex suit and by popped collar it is like he was wearing one of those veterinary cones around his head so that he didn't like lick the stitches out of his butt or whatever in this scenario he had some stitches in his butt and also is very flexible (laughs) and so he had one of those veterinary cones around his neck uh and then was just like well i still need to see a little bit to fight crime so he cut a window out in the front of it but what impractical gear unless he's fighting vampires maybe he's fighting vampires and he wants to protect his neck as it were 
Ooh, do you think that is loves... perhaps what the Wu Tang song is say, about? He just yeah. Protect your neck, because there's Draculas everywhere. That part got cut out. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I was like, eh, yeah. Heard the song. You best protect your neck. You best protect your neck, because of Draculas. Mm-hmm. Vampires ain't nothing no. to mess with. No, you, you could say I that. Word on our show. Well done. <laughs> cleaned it up, Bob. I appreciate that. But if you'd like to hear more swears. <laughs> Send us $50 to Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. It's a good radio voice. Thank you. Yeah, I love Black Elias' outfit. A little bit disappointed, as I said, that his cleavage window migrated south to just be an ab window. But I understand. These things happen. Other outfits? I mean, I can't not talk about Havoc's hat. That thing is berserk. It is maybe the worst hat in the Marvel Universe. That's a lot of hats. There's a lot of hats. There are more elaborate hats. There are more ornate hats. But I'm having difficulty pinpointing a less sensical hat. It's just so silly looking. It's just got these like weird three strands that are attached to a button on his forehead. It's like, what are those things called for like if you need to make a rough cut pastry dough or a pie, like a, one of those pastry... The pastry claws? It is kind of like mm-hmm. those, yeah. I like to put on the two pastry claws at once and pretend I'm like some kind of a pie wolverine. Oh, that's nice. But I don't put them on my head. Although, if Havoc is using those to cut butter into pie dough with his head, then all is forgiven. I like to think of it like that. No? But wouldn't it be pretty to think so? Hmm. Behold or be gone. Corey, dollar bill as your house guest. Behold or be gone. Oh, man. Lot to unpack there. He is a very wealthy man who is generous as well. But he might shoot video of you. Uh-huh. What do you think? What, what What's the plus and minus? Let's talk this through. Dollar bill as your house guest. Behold or be gone. Pretty entertaining guy. How long are we talking about house guest wise? Let's say a week. Five days? No, seven. Not negotiating here, Corey. <laughs> yeah, that's too much. Yeah. His personality is is fun from afar in doses. Right. I, I don't think he'd be the type of person I would probably want to hang out with all the time. I think it would probably be a bit much. That being said, he is very wealthy and not even generous necessarily, but like doesn't understand the concept of wealth. He seems like that kind of richo, which means that you would probably see some material benefit from his stay. Like, you could just be like, hey, I'm going to run out and get groceries. And he'd be like, okay, what does that cost? $1,500? You know? Yeah, usually. There's that side to it. If there's no sale. On the other hand, he is probably going to be filming constantly. I never want to see any footage of myself. He doesn't have any conception of consequences to his actions. So he could get you in quite a pickle. On the other hand, he's a very sound sleeper. So you don't need to worry about, like, tiptoeing around him and stuff. That's true. If if you have different sleep schedules. Mm -hmm. So it's on the line for me, but what tips it over the edge, and I would in fact behold Dollar Bill as a house guest. What? Amazingly, he's got one of those wand microphones that Bob Barker uses on The Price is Right. And I've always wanted to try one of those out. So I guess Dollar Bill, you can stay at my house. Whoa. You've got a cool Bob Barker microphone. Imagine how cool this show would sound if we recorded in little handheld wand microphones like on The Price is Right, Corey. We'd both sound like Bob Barker. I don't think that's how microphones work. 
I've never used a wand microphone, I don't know. Give DB a call, see what he can do. Or if you're a vendor of wand microphones, <laughs> send us $50 and a wand microphone. Two. Yeah, two of them. But if you only have one, you can just send one, you know. We'll share. Yeah. Okay. And that is why, having Dollar Bill as a house guest, I say, behold! For Mia to be gone. Sound effects. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? I, I had a definite favorite, but I did have a runner-up for it, which was a nice uh, alliterative frisbee being thrown really hard and then a resulting temporary injury to Valkyrie from it. Mm-hmm. And what was that? That was a zoom, which is the noise that it makes when Hulk hucks a frisbee. Into your tummy. Into your tummy. And zap is the noise for some reason that it makes when it hits Valkyrie's tummy. Yeah, that's some pretty good noises. Zoom zap. Zoom zap is nice. My favorite was boot, which is the noise that it makes. When Kyle boots Dollar Bill out of the house, Uncle Phil to DJ Jazzy Jeff style. I also had that written down, but my favorite is Kyle's out-of-control doorbell that just won't stop. Ding dong, bing bong, bing bong, ding dong. King Kong. Ping pong. Ding dong. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it just keeps doing that. It is pretty great and also pretty frustrating, I'm sure. Do you think that was one of the defenders for a day outside, just leaning on that thing, just like pressing the doorbell over and over again? And if so, who do you think it was? I do think that was the case. And I'm going to go with uh, Captain Colorblind because he just seems like the kind of jerk that would do that. I can also see it being Hercules, him just not understanding the way our modern contraptions work and thinking that... I'll just keep pressing it. I can't hear anything on this side. Mm, maybe, you know? it's, maybe it's broken. Yeah, so just keep going. Yeah, I think those are good. As I said, my favorite, I think, is boot, because I really like onomatopoeic sound effects, or whatever the version of that is where it makes the sound of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. And it made me think how much I would like seeing the word onomatopoeia as a sound effect. Just in the big block letters with an exclamation point after it as somebody is getting punched. I would almost guarantee that has shown up as a joke somewhere, but I would like to see it. Corey, what was your pie not made out of steel? What words did you enjoy most, much like you would enjoy a pie were it not made out of steel? Oh man, you're not going to like this. I'm not? Nope, because they come from your least favorite guy, codename Fogface. Ugh. But, he says... We desperately masked our mistakes, denied our indiscretions, gave the whole awry experiment the seal of secrecy of the Soviet government, and hoped it would go away. But inevitably, the truth has a way of triumphing, even when the truth is ugly, alien, and deadly dangerous. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I guess those are fine words. They're pretty good. <laughs> they just happen to come from right. a character that's a real... Turd bag. Shirt bird. Yep. My favorite words came from page 23 and an interchange between, well, a few characters, actually. Ms. Marvel, Valkyrie, the Hulk, and Son of Satan. But it's the coffee distribution scene. Thank you, Val. Have we met? I'm Ms. Marvel, in a new costume. Ah, I understand. Because Val has a new costume, too, and has also had some uh, difficulties with that. And I also loved in the same panel, Drink Sword Girl's Coffee! Your diplomacy is disarming, Hulk. Mm. That's pretty good. Pretty cute. Yeah, I like Son of Satan. Yeah. Every issue of a Defenders comic has a best defender and a worst offender. 
In this issue, who was the best defender and who was the worst offender? A lot of people to choose from in this one. So who was your worst? I kept it focused on the original group mm. of defenders and, and didn't expand it to the defenders for a day team because it was just too much. That's fair. For my worst, I probably not surprisingly went with Kyle Oof. because he is a jerk. Yes. And he just kind of makes everything worse. I don't really know that he does anything useful or redeeming in the whole issue. No, he gets mad over things that he can no longer do anything about, which both Valkyrie and Hellcat point out to him. Mm -hmm. He flies off the handle, and yeah, he makes the situation much, much worse and instantly loses the respect of all 19 of the visitors. Even having 23 defenders to choose from, it was difficult for me not to choose Kyle. I did end up going with Captain Ultra, just that was so shitty. The, uh, you flirted with me for 10 minutes, now you're my property, and I'm going to literally assault you if you talk to another man, is just so shitty and toxic, and fuck that guy. Also, strong contention for Torpedo. Like I said, I generally like Torpedo, but man, first of all, the, hi, I'm Torpedo, and, uh, I'm married, okay, so back off. Mm -hmm. Followed by, all right, I've got a plan. We're gonna beat up the Hulk. Boo. Boo. Can't believe anybody went along with that plan. Yeah, ultimately, I do have to give it to Captain Ultra. He was just such a piece of shit. Solid choice. On the other half of the equation, who do you have as the best defender? Well, for being a decent host, for more than once reminding Kyle not to freak out about things that he couldn't do anything about, and for braving the coffee pot. Mm-hmm. And serving, admittedly, horrible, horrible coffee to your guests. But trying to be a good host and, and welcome everybody that showed up, I gave it to Val. I had the same choice. I thought she was great. Backup for the Hulk, for helping out, keeping his cool, not attacking people. Mm -hmm. For all the good it did him. Mm. But, uh, yeah, no, I also went with Valkyrie. Although other people I had in contention were the Falcon. I think he did a good job just calling out Kyle on his bullshit. Keeping his cool. Yeah. Not just turning around and being like, Dude, it's the daytime. You got the strength of one strong man? So do I. Pop, pop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good job, the Falcon. But yeah, I, I did ultimately go with Valkyrie. I think she was great. She showed a great deal of wisdom and was a good host and also showed her physical prowess and withstanding that frisbee to the tum-tum by uh, Hulk. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just all around great job, Valkyrie. What was your favorite panel? Again, uh, toss-up. We did mention that the opening splash panel where they're playing frisbee is, is fun and cute. I liked that. I think my favorite might actually be when Dollar Bill's getting the boot off the porch. It's pretty fun. I liked that one, too. I had a couple to choose from also. I also loved the opening panel, in part because it's a great panel and it's really fun, but also in part just opening it up. I had not expected to see Sal Buscema's art again, and... It was like saying hello to an old friend, and I really appreciated that. But in addition to that, there is just some tremendous artwork throughout this. There is a really nice scene with Hellcat and Dollar Bill sitting on the couch and Kyle getting angry. It's just a really nicely rendered Hellcat, and seeing Sal Buscema draw Hellcat looks great. And I really like the way he draws Dollar Bill, too. Uh, he looks a lot less cartoonish than he does with Hannigan, and it is a cool look. Mm -hmm. But... The two that it comes down to for me are the coffee dump with Val 
looking angry that people are dumping out her coffee that she worked so hard on, but also Hercules in the background looking disgusted, dumping his coffee on the ground and thinking to himself, Zeus! Not my favorite of his oaths. I prefer when he swears, by my beard! Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Val's expression in that panel, too. She's even got one of those little, like, the kind of black cloud squiggle things uh-huh. above her head. Indicating. And she's drinking her coffee and thinks it's just fine. Oh, no, you can tell by her face. <laughs> it's a... Oh, it's bad tasting, but she's just like, see, it can be drank. Grow up, everybody. But my absolute favorite is the penultimate panel of the book. And I call it... No peripheral vision squad attack! (laughs) Because it is Black Goliath, Iron Fist, and Torpedo, all of whom have no peripheral vision whatsoever, launching a sneak attack on the Hulk and just peeking their heads and their enormous collars or tail fins from a Chrysler that are on the side of their heads Mm -hmm. over the hedges before they attack. And it had never really occurred to me that... They all had that in common until I saw that. And I was just like, man, those guys are the worst for sneaking up on shit. They cannot see anything behind them. Wildly impractical. Unless, of course, you are fighting Draculas and concerned that you might try to lick the stitches out of your butt. Every issue of a Defenders comic also has one character who has to act contrary to their previously established characterization or motivation in a way that furthered the plot. To paraphrase the fat boys from Crush Groove, they just gotta be a sucker. In this issue, who was your sucker? Uh, Greeny. Hulk was my sucker. Okay, admittedly, he does have a history of listening to what Val says from time to time. Val is capable of reasoning with him, and I feel like that has been established enough. However, there are three separate times in this issue where Hulk does something he does not want to do because other people have told him to. A, he plays Frisbee, which he thinks is stupid. (laughs) B, he watches the TV show, which he thinks is stupid. Okay. C, he just really wants to smash people, but he goes off to sit by himself to not cause a scene. Yeah, I can understand that. I feel like Val is generally capable of having a calming influence on him. But you're right, that does qualify him for the sucker category, those three actions. And there is also the fact that the comic book tries to explain a way that his memory is not as developed as his muscles, in that he doesn't recognize these people that he has previously tried to smash. And that generally has not been the case with him. He recognized part of Ms. Marvel's old costume as looking like Captain Marvel's costume before, and it threw him into a a, a fit of rage where he smashed up the Sanctum. In this, he sees actual Captain Marvel, Mm -hmm. he has recently fought Stingray, Mm -hmm. and he generally wanted to smash Ms. Marvel, too. And he is just like, well, Hulk let bygones be bygones. I had a lot of options here. Nova... I don't think is generally the type of dude who would just be like, horse, I'm going to play cowboy. All of the cowboy company was wildly out of character for them to act that way. But it was charming enough that they did just want to play cowboy. (laughs) Impractical and dangerous, but also pretty fun. Son of Satan deciding to show up at a pledge drive. That doesn't seem like Son of Satan. Especially he's based in St. Louis. So he's got to go all the way to New York for this. And if he ever had wanted to join the Defenders, he just could have. Mm -hmm. 
This is not news to him that they exist and that he could just be on the team. There is also Havoc and Polaris, who I think are going to be my choice, because mostly they just want to be left alone so they can work on their dissertation. And in this, they're like, oh, I can join a superhero team? Man, the X-Men have been wanting to join that superhero team forever. Mm. He keeps getting sucked into the superhero life and trying to reject it. And here he's just like going out to casting calls. So I went with Havoc and Polaris as my suckers. Sound reasoning. Now, Corey, we both know that the Hulk rules. In this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? It's kind of a two-parter rule. The first part of it is that consuming media or finding ways to unwind with your friends that's not in the real world, whether that's, you know, reading a book or watching a TV show or a documentary about yourself is one thing, but it really is no substitute on its own for being out and being part of the world Hmm. playing frisbee with your friends for example so that's part of it you got to have both the inward looking and the outward looking stuff which would be one reason not to wear one of those giant popped collars because there then you can only look in one direction yeah i think probably hulk would take umbrage with the fact that everybody who's jumping him is wearing those popped collars Mm -hmm. because of that it's like hey this violates one of the hulk's rules yeah and you think you're protecting your neck but those draculas can sneak up on you now sure so then where are you going to be in trouble in the fucking grave and then out of the grave because now you're a fucking vampire undead Mm -hmm. the other part of the hulk's rule is that it's akin to i don't know if, if your parents ever told you when you were a kid like maybe you just said something nasty for no reason to somebody nasty like me not like right other nasty right like they wouldn't have to call me miss jackson after that right yeah i'm sorry no different miss jackson Jackson. different miss jackson i get it no control (laughs) so if you don't have anything nice to say don't fucking say anything at all or if all you want to do is smash but your friends tell you hey it's not good to smash right now you should probably listen to your friends Although it doesn't seem like he would necessarily learn that lesson from this book, because that's what he tried to do, and it didn't really work out for him. Well, no, it didn't. But I think his heart was in the right place. Oh, yeah. You know, going there, taking some time to to contemplate and figure your stuff out. I think that's a good rule that we'd all benefit from. Yeah. I had the Hulk's rule being, well, it came from something that he said. Hellcat said that she was going to be a superstar. Hulk responded, Catgirl is no burning light in the sky. Catgirl is Catgirl. And from that, I think what the Hulk meant was, hey, you should be yourself, unless your bird knows. If your bird knows, you should be somebody else who's less of an asshole. Mm. So that's the Hulk's rule. Be yourself, unless your bird knows, in which case, be less of an asshole. And that's the Hulk's rule. It's a good rule. I wish more people would follow that rule. (laughs) It kind of only applies to one person. Anyway. (laughs) Well, Corey, I think it's time for us to write some wongs. Okay. So, in the year of our Lord, 1978, and the month of our Lord, August, what wong doings was wong doing? It's been established that one of wong's many interests is um, science, in particular astronomy. Sure. So, he'd been corresponding with some of his science buddies, helping them with some drafting to get a satellite into orbit, which would do some some research, but they were having a little bit of trouble figuring out how to get the thing off the ground, into orbit, and all of that. Wong did a little bit of uh, mystical 
work, actually, mm. to get things lined up just so. As a result of that, on the 12th of August, the International Cometary Explorer, um, ICE for short, was launched. And this is a satellite that, that went up. There was actually three of them. And the one that he worked on was the third one, which also had a longer name. It was the International Sun-Earth Explorer, or IC, which was great for science and everything. However, around seven years later, it did actually happen that this satellite passed through the tail of the Giacobini-Zinner comet. This is in September of, of 1985. Oh. And wouldn't you know it, total maximum overdrive situation happened ic3 the satellite went evil oh no and uh wong had to go up into space and defuse it before it could destroy the planet and then come home wow so august of 78 was a good time for him september of 85 pretty stressful well that was not the only time in august of 1978 that Wong's actions had unforeseen consequences. Wong, perhaps due to Dollar Bill's influence when he was staying at the Sanctum, had become a bit of a film buff. So, he went out and he saw this new movie called Piranha, directed by Joe Dante and written by John Sale. And he was just like, wow. I mean, I know this is like kind of a cheesy, like, horror comedy exploitation movie, but it's actually pretty good. So Wong was just like, he was kind of jazzed on this movie. And he came home and he started talking to Steve about it. And he's like, you know, I'll go see it again. And so they went and saw Piranha together. And maybe Steve was still just a little bit sensitive after having been turned into a demon and dying briefly and turning back. Maybe it was something about seeing himself get stabbed to death on national television, even though he got better from it. Mm -hmm. But he was freaked the fuck out. And so when they got back from that movie, he's like, Wong, why did you take me to that movie? I, I want nothing to do with these Pirano creatures. They seem terrifying. No water in the house. I won't have it. And so for like weeks afterwards, Steve would not allow water to be turned on in the house at all. He wasn't showering. He wasn't brushing his teeth. Mm. When he had to poop, he would just open up a hole to another dimension and just poop into that. Oh. And I don't think he was paying that much close attention to which dimension he was pooping into. Oh, no. I think uh, Leopard Lord's dimension might just be filled with Steve shit now. Oh, no. It was a not a good time to hang out at the Sanctum. So Wong decided, you know what? I'm going to get out of town. I'm going to go on a little road trip. So he called his buddy, Niall Rogers. Did you know he was friends with Niall Rogers? No. Oh, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's friends with Niall Rogers. They met back in 1970. Niall Rogers was actually a touring musician with the uh, Sesame Street live show that they were doing. And uh, Wong had checked that out when he'd had some uh, strong Jamaican incense, was pretty into it. Sure. He and Niall Rogers struck up a friendship. Wong heard that there was a new mall opening up in Bangor, Maine. So uh, he's like, you know what, Niall? Let's just head up there. It just seems like a weird destination. I think it'll be fun. They head up there. And while they were up in rural Maine on their way to Bangor, Wong checked in on some of his supernatural buddies that lived in upstate Maine. He heard about a nightclub up there uh -oh. called the Disco Barn. Huh? He and Niall Rogers decided to go check that out, and they loved it. They just had a great time. There was this old vampire running the place. Niall was just like, man, these guys are a bunch of freaks. But you know what? It's cool. And from that observation, the song, Le Freak, was born. Say chic. Oh, freak That was about Steve. Mm -hmm. But then, up at the disco barn, Le Freak 
C'est chic. Mm. He was having a great time. And yeah, Niall Rogers wrote that song with his band Chic and uh, was a huge disco hit inspired by the disco barn, inspired by Wong scaring the poop out of Steve, literally, with the movie Piranha. Directed by Joe Dante and written by John Sale for Roger Corman Features. And Wong, he was like, these guys are going to go on and do good things. And you know what? They both did. Mm. And that is what Wong was doing with his Wong doings in August of 1978. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this. I really loved this comic book. Uh, and I had a lot of fun going over it with you, Corey. Likewise. Glad to hear it. If you guys would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at... Tighten up the defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. If you would like to contact us electronically, seeing as we do live in the future, you can reach us at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Uh, we're also all up in all of the internet's bits and pieces. Bits and bites? Bits, bites. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. I'm a robot punching in the numbers. What numbers am I punching in? They're not numbers, they're letters. And it's T-I-T-A-N-U-P-T-A-G-D-E-F-E-N-S-E. Beep, boop, beep, boop. I'm a robot. You might say to yourself, if you are a robot. It's really not the same, you guys, <laughs> if you don't get to see the gesticulations of Hub's robot man. I'm a method actor, Corey. If I am getting into the spirit and the mind of a robot. Why would a robot punch type? Hunt and peck. <laughs> a robot would... Robots do mean... all kinds of things, Corey. Why would a robot speak with an Austrian accent? Because they're robots. You don't know their ways. Beep boop. Beep boop. Touche. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we're on Twitter. <laughs> and, yeah, Instagram, Tumblr, Grinder. Facebook. LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, if you would like to leave us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Music or Stitcher or Podbay or, I don't know, uh, I have to go potty. It's probably one. Yeah, if you leave us a review, it helps uh, helps more people find the show and uh, hopefully they'll like it too. So, you know, Exteriors do right that. On it. Yeah, that's what they'll do. If you would like to support the show monetarily, you can find us at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a bunch of bonus material that is for donors only, including a bunch of video reviews of classic comics I'm doing. And there's also What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That's a podcast that comes out every month that I host with Lisa about Howard the Duck. There's also a bunch of other stuff on there that you might enjoy. Mostly it's just a way for uh, you to let us know that you appreciate what we're doing and would like us to keep doing it. And it, it really means a lot to me that so many of you have decided to support us in that way. You guys are great. Mm-hmm. And? Beep boop bop boop. Beep boop beep boop. You're all defenders to me. Beep boop. Hi. Beep boop. And they knew it. I'm, no, I'm good. I'm good. You pee your pants. You pee your pants. It's okay. Just tell Nobody me it's. Tell me it's for the arts, boss. <laughs> yeah.
a bunch of dumb fuck nuts like us who can't uh, stop peeing our pants uncontrollably. Peas in a pod, am I right? More like peas in our pants.